Hello, my name is Eric Sternad, and welcome to the third and final segment of this series, Walking with Jesus Christ, Jesus as Future Judge. In the first two segments, we talked about our own attitudes towards authority, self-determination, and we saw that the Bible has a lot to say about Jesus as our current king-in-waiting, and that he's ready to return to the earth at God's command to set up our world's first truly righteous, loving, and ordered kingdom, led by this perfect and sinless man, Jesus, our glorious king. And in this segment, we'll consider what will happen when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom. You see, the Bible makes a lot of references to this idea of the day of judgment that Jesus will preside over as he begins this huge transition from the way our world is governed today to the way it will be governed in that new age. Now, we're familiar with governmental transitions over the countries we live in today. Sometimes it's peaceful, other times it's violent, sometimes it's expected, and other times sudden. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to also have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The day of judgment does kind of evoke that sense of fear and apprehension, doesn't it? It's natural for us to feel that way. It's kind of like the big test day or the day of reckoning. But hold on, listen to Paul's confidence in this coming judgment day. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which will be awarded to me on that day. How does Paul have such confidence? Was he uh, perfectly sinless? No, he wasn't. He actually was a murderer of Christians. He had them drug out of their homes and put to death precisely because they were Christians. No, he wasn't sinless, far from it. And yet he has rock solid confidence in, the, in, in, in facing that coming day of judgment. Because here's the beautiful thing about the day of judgment. Yes, Jesus will be our judge, but he's also our defense attorney. And also having been a prisoner to the same sinful nature that we struggle with, he knows what it's like to struggle against sin. And so he will and, has, and does have compassion on us. Instead of the day of judgment being like an automatic death sentence, or this being some impossible mountain to climb, Jesus can make it a walk in the park for us. But only as Paul said, to those of us who have loved his appearing. So as we learn more about that coming day of judgment, let's take it seriously, but also take to heart Paul's encouraging words to Timothy. Jesus is coming as a just judge, but also a judge with compassion, an elder brother who has laid down his life that we might live forever too. His sinless life is our way of redemption, and in grace he wants to forgive and bless us forever. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells his disciples to seek his kingdom, and these things, the things that we need, will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
So instead of uh, being afraid of the day of judgment, we should remember that Jesus, our judge, sits on that judgment seat wanting to forgive and wanting to bless us. He wants to give us the kingdom. The command to us today is to live our lives as Jesus did when he walked on the earth in righteousness and in holiness. He forgives our sin when we ask him. And through baptism into his name and with a commitment to follow him the best we can, he will have mercy on us and uphold us on that last day. But this does require our faith. Now, sometimes we find uh, ourselves uh, maybe taking judgment into our own hands, don't we? The movies today are filled with themes of taking vengeance for wrong or enacting justice on someone else. But Romans 14 says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Too often we want to reassert our control and make decisions about other, how other people ought to act and to even condemn them when we believe they've done something wrong. But turning the other cheek and suffering ourselves to be defrauded, well, it's very hard for us. But God is reserving his judgment for that last day. And Jesus will preside over that throne of judgment on that great day. In God's own time, justice will be done on the earth. And rest assured that in his wisdom, Jesus will deliver judgment in exactly the way that it needs to be delivered on that day. Also in Romans, in chapter 12, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So at that day of judgment, we'll finally see God's judgment. The righteous will be given life, and the unrighteous will be given death. In Hebrews chapter 10, it reads, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When Jesus returns to the earth as king, he will take his seat of judgment to judge those who have professed to follow God. It will be an earth-shattering day. It will be a day for the hidden things to be revealed, light to be shown into the darkness, and the truth to be revealed for all to see. Jesus will put to death those who only he can know are those responsible to him and to God. But Jesus will also bless and save in mercy those who have loved his appearing. Not the perfect people, because none of us are perfect, but those who have committed themselves to Jesus and are still walking in that way at his appearing. And it will be a day that no one on earth will ever forget. And Jesus will do this in the open for all to experience. It will kind of be like the greatest preaching event of all time to the people on the earth at that time. When Jesus' power, authority, wisdom, and mercy will be shown to all the peoples of the earth, what an amazing start to his reign as king of the world that will be. In Hebrews chapter 10, it reads, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great 
priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Even so, come Lord Jesus, our future judge and our future king. This concludes our series, Walking with Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Thank you for watching. We hope these classes will be helpful to you as in your search for Jesus Christ. For more information, we recommend you go to www.thisisyourbible.com. Thank you and God bless you. My name is Eric Sternad, and welcome to the second of three segments in this series, Walking with Jesus Christ, Jesus as Future King. Now, many of us have strong feelings about the government. It evokes passion like few other subjects, patriotism and intense loyalty for some, or feelings of injustice and desire for rebellion if we feel our government is corrupt or against us as its people. Even the word king itself has very strong and at times negative connotations in our minds. We think about the royal lines in Europe in the Middle Ages, the gray-bearded monarch sitting on his throne, wielding unjust power against his subjects who live outside the palace gates in squalor. Isn't this the kind of image we evoke when we say that absolute power corrupts absolutely? And yet, the Bible tells us that it is actually God who establishes authorities and can take them down. Romans chapter 13 reads, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. There are plenty of examples of corrupt leaders and, and despot kings in this world, both across history and today. But could we imagine for a second if it were possible to have a kind, loving, all-wise and benevolent king? Wouldn't that be kind of the ideal? A ruler who really cared about his people, wanted the very best for them, made every decision in wisdom and caring for his world, his people, and would even lay down his life for them. And what if he actually invited every person in his kingdom to even join his family, to be his brothers and sisters? to help him to rule together for the good of all. It seems too good to be true, 
But in fact, this is what the future holds for our earth. Jesus is returning as that perfect and benevolent king. This is why, for me personally, I have hope for this world. Despite the troubles, the failings today, the dangers and dysfunction, the misery and inequality, disease and pollution, God placed ordinary women and men in charge of the earth. And frankly, we've not done an awesome job of it. We keep trying, and that's to be applauded. But what we really need is a righteous king, a righteous king like Jesus, who can take the helm and usher in a new period of restoration for his tired and burdened earth that's crowded and challenged with people. Uh, Just before Jesus' crucifixion, he was dragged before Pilate, the governor appointed by the occupying Roman uh, government uh, over Jerusalem at that time. And Jesus was to be judged. And so John records in chapter 18, Jesus answered uh, when he's speaking with Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And so we see that Jesus acknowledges that he has a kingdom, uh, that he is the king. But it wasn't to be established at that time. He was immediately crucified, of course, even though at times the people really wanted him to stand up and be their king at that time. But it wasn't Jesus' call to begin this period of restoration yet. That's God's call and his call alone. In Mark 13, Jesus says of the timing of his glorious return, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. But make no mistake, there is a time coming when Jesus will begin his kingdom, when his servants, who he calls brothers and sisters, by the way, will fight to defend it and honor it. And at that time, the whole world will meet their righteous new king that God will have established over the whole earth. For some, it may be strange to think about Jesus as a king, because so much of the New Testament shows Jesus as that meek servant that was led to his crucifixion without a fight, the despised and rejected of men, you know, the the turn-the-other-cheek Jesus. Well, Jesus explains that although that was his role in his first 30 years to walk the earth in peace and meekness, a time was coming when he was going to be uh, given a very different role. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This future king of the world was prophesied in the time of David, the king of Israel. A Messiah would be born, a king. Isaiah chapter 9 reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So Jesus will sit on that ancient throne of David and reign as the reestablished king of Israel, but not according to man's laws or because of Israeli democratic elections, for example. He will be given that throne because he was raised from the dead and is the son of God, and he intends to come back to reign over the whole earth. Now, Jesus will return to the earth, but again, it will be in a very different role than when he left. 
In Philippians chapter 2, it reads, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So he walked in meekness on the earth, but he will return as king in power and glory. In Matthew chapter 25, it reads when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And indeed, after his resurrection, when he fellowship with his disciples for those 40 days, Matthew records in chapter 28 that Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has this divinely given authority over all God's creation today. And then he will be revealed as the king of the world in the future. So how ought we to live before Jesus, our king and savior? Shouldn't we be quick to obey his command, to be devoted to our king and to his glory and standing in the world in preparation for his return? Absolutely. And shouldn't we be careful about our allegiance to anything or anyone else except for our king who is in waiting? Absolutely. Paul encourages Timothy in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So then finally, this troubled and confused world will have a selfless, righteous, and sinless leader who will rule in love and in wisdom. And when Jesus returns to the earth as the new king of the world, one of the first things he's going to do is to hold a day of judgment, and he will sit on the throne as the judge himself. Come with me then to the third segment as we explore this idea of walking with Jesus, our future judge. Hello, my name is Eric Sternad, and welcome to the first of three segments in this series, 
walking with Jesus Christ, our future uh, king and judge. Now, no one likes to be judged, and, and we've all heard someone say at some time, don't judge me. Uh, because deep down, we all like to be the final authority on our own lives and ourselves. We like to make our own decisions. And Frank Sinatra tapped into a core uh, sensibility uh, for us as humans when uh, he said, um, and when he sang, uh, I did it my way. Uh, if, it were, if it weren't for a lot of the patient moms and dads out there who uh, day after day, lovingly and sometimes sternly, taught us that while, yes, we are the boss of ourselves, we must think of others and not just act on what we uh, always want. And then as we matured, we, became, we uh, came to understand that there is more to life than just pursuing our own pleasures and wants. And our Bibles began to instruct us that uh, to know and ultimately the fact that the real authority over us and each of us is the creator himself. Uh, God created us with an ability to make our own way in life. He gave us free will, smarts, bodies that can overcome challenges. And when teams can come together with common goals, they can achieve amazing feats of human ability in science. Uh, over the physical world, music, artistry. But then God also asks us to willingly lay down our free life he's given us for him and to put his purpose before our own. Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Well, that goes against our basic sense of self-control, doesn't it? And even our sense of self-preservation. Now, it's been said that the hardest four words for a Christian to say is, thy will be done. But we must, as disciples, challenge that human desire to dictate our own lives. And instead, we must try to turn our lives over to God and to the Lord Jesus. It's a struggle chronicled throughout the Bible, from Adam and Eve to Jacob's wrestling with the angel, right through to Jesus in the wilderness, denying his human temptations to feed himself, to protect himself, or to glorify himself before the time appointed. So what does this have to do with Jesus as future king and Jesus as our future judge? Well, it's important to establish that we have this basic struggle within all of us. This is a struggle between our sense of self-determination versus God's supremacy over his creation. John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1 said, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And at the time of Jesus' transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah appeared before him in Matthew 17, it reads, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So even during Christ's ministry on earth, God was giving him authority. Uh, he taught with authority. He had authority over illnesses and even death itself when he raised his dear friend Lazarus from the dead. Now, there are 130 different names Jesus is called in the Bible. The Good Shepherd, the Son of Man, the Word, the Bread of Life. But he's also called the Just Judge, King of Israel, King of the Jews, and King of Kings. Now, Jesus is an amazing person, devoted, committed, compassionate, faithful, and selfless. But these attributes didn't earn him these titles of authority like King of Kings. It was God who created Jesus and ultimately gave him these titles like king and judge, gave him the throne of Israel and will make him the judge of all the earth. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And we are urged to come to the feet of our master, the Lord Jesus, with humility and submission, obedience and devotion. And there we have it, that struggle between our human desire for self-determination and God's command that we humbly submit to our Lord and King Jesus, who is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, not only in this age, but in the age to come. So let's think about Jesus as our King. Come with me now to the second segment as we walk with Jesus Christ, our coming King. (laughs) 